Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Dr. Nirov Shah. Dr. Shah is an attending infectious disease physician and vice chair of quality at North Shore Health Systems. His non-clinical time is dedicated to innovation in research, quality, and antimicrobial stewardship. His work helps provide North Shore patients with predictive targeting and efficient care by implementing novel methods for analyzing and utilizing data. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Shah. Thanks for having me. For those listeners that aren't familiar with your uh, your background, um, would you mind giving a little bit of an overview of your work and, and how you got from where you started to where you are now? Okay. Um, so I, uh, I'm from Chicago originally, and all of my training has been in Chicago. So I did med school. I was a resident. I did a master's in public health, all at Northwestern. And then I moved to University of Chicago, where I did my fellowship in infectious disease. Um, while I was there, I had great attendings that um, were mentors to me in, um, in infectious disease, but then also in analytics and informatics. So we, have, um, we had a connection with um, North Shore University Health System. And um, the VP of Clinical Analytics and Associate CMIO at North Shore at that time um, he was mentoring uh, fellows at University of Chicago, and so uh, he became my mentor. And um, he taught me a lot about kind of informatics and analytics, and it got me really interested in the field. Um, so he helped recruit me um, to North Shore after I finished fellowship and stayed on for a short period of time at U of C. And then as soon as I got there, he actually left. Um, and he went, uh, and he's now the... Um, He's the chief medical analytics officer at Providence Health, so he's a, he's a giant in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he left, he actually left all his projects, his, all his research, and everything to me to kind of work on. So it was kind of um, it was very unfortunate that he left, but uh, you know it resulted in me having this large portfolio of things to work on. Absolutely. Um, and then after that, I was working on that, and we. Um, we hired a new chief quality and transformation officer. Um, and she's an incredible change agent. Her name is Dr. Lakshmi Halasamani. And shortly after she came, I explained some of the work that I was doing, and she was very interested in it very early on. So she injected me into a lot of the quality meetings, um, a lot of the high-up quality meetings with you know vice chairs and um, that's kind of how I got integrated into North Shore um, in, into the work that I'm doing. And then while I've been doing that, I've been partnering with um, a lot of, um, uh, I would say, investigators outside of North Shore in analytics and informatics. And so um, I've had a lot of connections kind of with other um, health systems and then also academic institutions that have helped kind of build my knowledge base in this space. So. So in terms of the work that I'm doing, I would say that um, my projects all fit under six categories. Um, three of them are related to prediction modeling, and it kind of um, it, it kind of spans the life cycle of a prediction model. So the first project is really um, acquiring novel data inputs for prediction models. So thinking about you know 
thinking about data, um, most of the data that we have at our fingertips that we can use for prediction model are in structured fields, and that's a small minority um, in the hospital. So how do we get at things that really determine health, such as social determinants, or the notes within our health system, they're all unstructured fields. How do we, how do we capture that? Um, genomics, um, wearables data, you know, so how do we integrate that into our prediction model so that we can, you know, have the best performance and really predict stuff? Um, so that, that's kind of one project that I, I'm working on trying to acquire data. The second is the actual prediction models, um, developing them. You know, there's a whole gamut of different methodologies you can use for this. You can use like rules-based, um, just a simple, does someone have this or that, yes or no, and that can be a risk stratification. It can go into logistic regression. It can go into machine learning. It can go into deep learning. So investigating, you know, the whole spectrum of, you know, predictive um, analytics, that's kind of one of the things that we're interested in. We're also looking at supervised, unsupervised learning. So um, won't go too deeply into that, but th that's probably kind of the bulk of the second um, kind of project that I'm working on. The third is taking all the prediction models that we've built and integrating it directly into our electronic health record so that patients are scored as soon as they walk into the door and then tying that to specific interventions that we'd like to perform on those patients. So this is an incredibly novel space. Um, just doing a literature search a week ago, there I would say there's under like 10 or so papers in this specific space of tying prediction models to clear interventions. And so we're doing this on a health system level, which is absolutely unique. Um, and then what we're doing is um, we're taking the prediction model, we're tying it to an actual intervention to help reduce the risk of the patient, and then we're rapidly testing out if that intervention, if that prediction model makes sense. And we're doing it in a way that is a fraction of the time that it would normally take to do this. So normally when, you know, in the healthcare system, when you want to test something out, you want to use a randomized controlled trial, that's kind of the bread and butter of, you know, um, it's the bedrock of, you know, modern medicine. Mm -hmm. But doing something like that takes a ton of resources, a ton of time. So we've introduced um, analytics into our electronic health records that allows us to look at um, basically testing out how um, certain interventions are working, all built within our electronic health record, all with normal patient care. And so that we can, you know, we, we ran this advanced analytics on this one intervention, and we had a, over 1,000 patients in it, and we did it in 10 weeks. That normally, if you wanted to do a study on that, that would take years. So um, very, very innovative work. The other three are semi-related to that. One of them is our wearables project. So we're in the early stages. I mean, so all of my projects have different levels of maturity, but we're in the early stages of our wearable project where we've gotten past kind of evaluating different vendors and seeing what we can do. And now we're really strategizing on how can we deploy wearables to really impact our patient population. And we're thinking about kind of not only the cost effectiveness, but how we would deploy it, how we would deploy it effectively, how you know, patients would think about it, how, you know, our current kind of clinical structure would deal with that, you know, burst of knowledge that would be coming, how the HIT, so the health information technology would have to deal with this. So we're kind of in that early strategic phase. But our goal is um, that what we're hoping to do is to kind of implement this in a prospective way. So taking the wearables and quickly putting it on patients and trying to impact their care instead of what's traditionally done, which is 
you know, in a research institute, people put patches on, they let people go about their day-to-day business, and then they evaluate kind of did that um, did that device kind of predict something that happened, you know, kind of a retrospective study. So they're not telling patients, you know, do this based on that um, trigger. So that that's the area that we're trying to move in to kind of from the get-go work on, um, you know, trying to impact care. Um, the next project is um, we have a very robust personalized medicine and pharmacogenomics program. Um, uh, it, trying to integrate um, what we learn kind of at the genetic level with all the risk-based stratification that we're already doing with, you know, the prediction models that we've built into our electronic health record. That's incredibly novel, and we're starting to think about that. Um, And the last one, um, which I think is um, an incredibly innovative solution is we, and this kind of gets back at the infectious disease. You're wondering, where is the infectious disease in all of this? So this kind of goes back to that. We built a tool within our electronic health record Mm -hmm. that extracts 10,000 data points within our electronic health record. It feeds it into 40 variables. And then there are um, algorithms that use national and local guidelines, prediction models, and external data, we built an epi tool that basically tells us if flu is high or low. And all of that goes into predicting what's the best antibiotic for a given patient at a given moment. And what happens is you push one button and it tells you the antibiotic and you push another button and it goes into the order. So it is extremely seamless. So I know you guys are very big into design. That was a huge piece of this was figuring out how to design something that is so incredibly seamless that any physician would, you know, would wouldn't want to use it. Absolutely. And it sounds like it's high impact. I mean, that's amazing. That's a single use case. I mean, you know, using something like this for a lot of other use cases could be really transformative. It sounds like you're doing such an amazing job um, and have so many rich projects that you're working on. I guess the main question is when do you sleep? (laughs) I get a lot of sleep. Need a lot of sleep to function. Um, my wife um, laughs at me because uh, she says I sleep all day. Um, but yeah, I, um, there, this is this is not just me. This is kind of this is a much larger team that's mm-hmm. working on a lot of these projects. Um, our we have a very robust team within HIT, our health information technology, kind of working on the Epic, uh, which is you know our electronic health record, working on those solutions. We have a huge team in clinical analytics, um, uh, a huge team of data scientists, um, a huge team of business intelligence analysts. Um, our quality, um, our chief quality and transformation officer, she's kind of reorganized care. So. Um, a lot of the work that we're doing is around this. So this is, I mean, this is a huge system-wide effort. Fantastic. So I, I know you work quite a bit in the research and on the quality side. Innovation is such a, a broad topic, and it covers so much ground. In your eyes, how would you describe in innovation in the healthcare space? So, I, you know, from a very general perspective, it's, you know, creating new or improving upon existing um, uh, technologies or products or policies or processes, that that would be kind of like my generic statement of what is innovation and, you know, using that to improve health. Um, The way that I think about it is I've had my hands in a lot of different spaces. Um, So there's the clinical space, um, epidemiologic space, um, analytics, informatics, research, quality, um, I, what I, what I see innovation is, you know, taking 
what you know from all of these different domains and integrating them and using it to solve a question that um, in a way that, you know, any single domain wouldn't be able to answer and using it in a way that really affects patient care, um, gets physician buy-in, which is a big thing, um, integrated into workflows um, so that it's seamless mm-hmm. um, and is safe, effective, and really improves care. That's kind of how I think about it. So one of your themes of, of your work is, is really identifying and solving for under-the-radar problems. What's your process for identifying those, those, those specific challenges? So I, I think um, in order to identify these problems, you really have to be connected to kind of what's going on at the ground level. Um, and so by being integrated kind of into our quality structure, um, we, you know, a lot of the, these issues that kind of bubble up, um, you know, I'm there and I'm listening to basically what some of the, you know, the issues are that face our health system. And so being integrated at that level, having still, um, you know, a clinical background and, you know, going on to the actual wards and seeing patient care, you know, it allows me to get the context on the clinical problems as well. So then using this background of informatics analytics, trying to automate problems, um, I'm able to kind of look at um, a problem from different angles than would normally be looked at by, say, just someone who's just a clinician or someone who's just in the quality space. And it does, it, does it start with the data? Is it you looking at a series of data, finding patterns, and then asking the question of why does this exist? Or does it start on the clinical level where you're getting feedback mostly from the patients or the, the physicians themselves? And, and they're saying, hmm, I'm wondering why this is happening. And then that it, it becomes part of the problem statement that you have to solve for. In an ideal world, it would start with the data and we'd pick this up ahead of time. Um, but there's just so much complexity to a healthcare system. So frequently what happens is we find there's this, um, you know, a case or a kind of a system issue. And once we figure out that there's an issue, we go in and dive in and get the data and try to figure out what's the problem. And once, once we figure out what's the problem, then we start looking for ways to solve it. Uh, healthcare is incredibly complex. I wish, you know, we had a system in place that could, you know, target and find these things ahead of time. And do you have a specific example that you could share? I guess just in, in uh, of what the typical example of that is. I guess in your in your day to day job. So I would say, um, you know, there's always outcomes that are um, that I would say are not ideal um, that happen in any healthcare system, um, and I would say two issues that kind of recently came up were had to do with um, outcomes related to, um, uh, you know, we're, we're opening up a lot of urgent cares and that urgent cares are being opened up by every healthcare system mm-hmm. kind of across, you know, the U.S. because millennials like to get care, you know, pretty much whenever they want, right? You know, they're not tied to a primary care physician. So these, these urgent cares are opening up and, um, you know, it doesn't have the same level of, um, you know, any, anyone can walk through the doors at an urgent care. You know, it could be someone that actually needs an emergency room. It could be someone who's just there to fill a prescription. So this is the whole spectrum. So, you know, how do we identify um, which patients are, you know, that are walking through the doors that are really ill that we need to figure out maybe you need a higher level of care. So that that's one of the questions that has come up recently. Mm-hmm. Um, 
another one is, you know, we have a lot of patients that are getting procedures. Um, and um, typically when you have a surgery, you have an anesthesiologist with you. But um, with uh, a typical interventional procedure, you may or may not, depending on the level of anesthesia that you need. So what if you have a patient that's really high, what if something goes wrong and you need higher level care from an anesthesia standpoint? You know, are, are we, do we have a system where we can put an anesthesiologist at every uh, patient's side that's having any kind of procedure, you know, in the event that they may need an anesthesiologist? That's just unfeasible. So how do we figure out what's the right patient population to target the high-risk patients that would need the anesthesiologist? So these kinds of questions about resource allocation, uh, they're, they're numerous. They, they come up all the time. And so this is just, you know, these are just two that came up, you know, recently that, you know, we're thinking about and trying to figure out. So you mentioned that healthcare is is behind the ball uh, when it comes to data specifically. What's the the greatest challenge that you're faced with in, in trying to drive innovation um, or implement your your findings? So, you know, I, um, I there's a statistic where um, companies use about five percent of the data that they generate. Um, and healthcare is definitely a lot less because we generate a ton of data. And while we use that data kind of at the point of care afterwards, that data uh, that data is then kind of in our electronic health record, and you know no one ever looks at it again. So um, it's really important that we think about kind of solutions that. Um, that look at extracting that data and using it meaningfully, kind of like these prediction models and integrating it into tools where, you know, there's decision support. Um, in terms of challenges, there, I think there's a bunch of challenges in the healthcare system. And, I mean, everyone's well aware of, you know, there's a lot of issues with our healthcare system. I think on a macro level, um, I think there's a lot of regulation, um, and that makes makes it very difficult for... Um, for people to innovate within the healthcare system. You know, it's a highly regulated field that, uh, you know, if if you think about like financials or any other retail or anything else, you know, no one else is dealing with this kind of regulation. And I mean, you know, there should be some regulation because it's healthcare. But that, that is a big problem at a macro level for innovation. That's why you find that some of the big tech companies struggled early on with trying to, you know, trying to solve healthcare, even though, you know, they thought it, it would be fairly easy. Um, on a micro level, kind of at the healthcare system level, I think, you know, we, healthcare systems have been, have grown up in a time where um, they've mainly delivered care in a fee-for-service model, where the number of surgeries, the number of outpatient visits, the number of, you know, um, ICUs, visits, or whatever, that determines how much you get paid. And there's been this real change in the last couple of years where we're now moving towards this value-based care. So healthcare systems are, I, I would say in general, are not very agile. They're not like tech startups. They, they have been doing things for a really long time. And as a result, they're kind of fixed in their ways. It's hard to kind of get them to move towards technology. Physicians are fixed in their ways. Um, Getting a physician to use technology is sometimes one of the hardest things. Um, Most are very savvy, but I would say the older generation is not as savvy and not as comfortable, just as, you know, you say like your parents, your grandparents may not be as savvy. Um, So in terms of 
barriers for driving innovation, I think a lot of it has to do with this um, that kind of um, micro level kind of healthcare systems don't have that same agility. You know? I have a lot of family members that are from the North Shore and are part of the North Shore healthcare system. And I think you, you all do some amazing work. Talk to me a little bit about the environment there and what specifically allows for innovation. You mentioned these six projects that you're working on. A lot of that doesn't happen at other healthcare systems. And um, I'm, I'm sure the listeners are interested in, in finding out what makes North Shore healthcare system different. I, you know, in talking with other folks outside of North Shore, I, I think it's a really special place. Um, so we set up our electronic health record in 2002 to 2003, which is very early. People are still coming on electronic health records to this date. Um, so we were the first hospital to set up our electronic health record, EPIC, on an inpatient and outpatient side. We're one of the first healthcare systems to warehouse our data. That was in 2008. So there are a lot of folks that haven't even started doing that. Um, there's this organization called HIMS, um, and they have the scoring system for those healthcare systems that are really ahead of the ball, um, and it goes up to level seven. And so we were the first with another hosp- with another healthcare system to be HIMS level seven inpatient and outpatient. So um, I'm coming into a health system that is incredibly innovative, incredibly forward thinking. Um, it, 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 you know, from our CIO, Steve Smith, to um, our, you know, recently retired CMIO, to my mentor, um, Ari Robichek, um, from an analytics informatics standpoint, we've just been kind of very visionary, uh, had a very visionary team. Um, and then on top of that, now we have, um, I would say all healthcare systems have this kind of disruption that's occurring um, where we're moving from you know, fee-for-service to value-based care. So in that in that churn, there's a lot of room for innovation. So this is, um, you know, if we didn't have that kind of disruption, I don't think we'd be working on these kinds of projects right now. That and um, what's unique about North Shore, it's a health system that has, you know, four hospitals, but all four hospitals are right next to each other. And so you can literally get everyone that makes decisions in the same room and so you can implement something at a systems level kind of like that, just with, you know, all the decision makers are there. And I would say that, you know, compared to um, like an academic center where there is incredibly innovative work that's going on, all that, all that academic work is really housed in silos. You know, one researcher has this grant and they're working on this and they want to do this, but then implementing that at a larger scale becomes very difficult because everybody's working on their own projects and their own grants and stuff, and you can't get everyone in line. So that's another unique quality about North Shore. If we want to implement something at the systems level, we are able to do that. So, you know, prediction models integrated into our um, electronic health record in implementing interventions at the systems level. Very, very unique. And if there's a listener out there that's, let's say, a counterpart at a different healthcare system and they were looking to establish a more innovative culture, we know it's not just one person that can, can help achieve that. What advice would you give them? That is a good question. Um, I mean, it 
it has to come from, like you said, from a team. This is not a one-person job. Um, so have, getting the right people in place at the right positions, um, leadership has to buy in. Um, and then you have to have people on the ground that make it happen. Um, you know, an, an example, you know, we wouldn't be able to do, you know, I gave you an example of our, that um, clinical decision support within, I mean, it goes beyond clinical decision support, but within infectious disease where it gives the right, you know, antibiotic. Um, so that vision to integrate that came from, you know, a team of folks. But in order to do that, we needed people that were incredibly innovative within our health information technology who could figure out and essentially hack this process and figure that out. So you need folks that are that are committed to trying to solve something in different places within the organization. So you can't just set up a team of like clinicians and then expect, you know, innovation to occur. That you have to have the innovation at all levels in different level, you know, in different places. That doing that is a tough thing and I'm sure a lot of people are struggling with that and trying to figure that out. And it takes a long time period. You mentioned some of the, those key milestones you had that were very early on from, from a healthcare systems perspective in terms of the data warehousing. You've got, you've got to have that in order to have the data science to kind of analyze the data in the first place. So um, it sounds like a mixture of not just getting buy-in from the top, but having dedicated resources where there were sole responsibilities to help create some of that innovation. Yep. Fantastic. So there's a lot of concerns around healthcare in the, in the existing state of it, but what are your biggest um, concerns related to healthcare? So I think, again, kind of at the macro and micro level, the macro level, I think the biggest issue is the value of care that we provide, the efficiency of care that we provide. Um, you know, GDP, you know, healthcare is 18% of GDP, which is incredibly high, and um, what are the outcomes that really matter, like longevity, maternal, um, mortil- uh, maternal morbidity, mortality, child morbidity, mortality, um, equity of care? We do very poorly on all of these key metrics that really um, are telling us how, uh, you know, whether we're placing our dollars in the right places. Um, so I think that is probably the biggest thing, and there are a ton of concerns that fit into that, you know, within that, you know, whole like how high our healthcare costs and how poorly we do. On a micro level, kind of more pertinent to you know me as a physician and the stuff that I'm doing, I, I think there are a couple really big areas um, and that we see all the time. The biggest one is physician burnout, which uh, I mean it's an epidemic. Um, every everyone that I know. Um, has some degree of burnout or, you know, some people call it um, moral injury. You know, that's kind of this new phrase that's going around. Um, That's a big thing. There's just, you know, what we thought medicine was and what it is when we practice are two different things. And I think that has a lot to play with it. That in addition to the demands. And then speaking to the demands um, related to kind of data and analytics and, you know, quality of care, an interesting, couple of interesting stats. Um, medical knowledge in 1950 used to double every 50 years. Um, medical knowledge in 2020 is going to double every 73 days. So that should tell you how much knowledge is being, you know, created within the medical field. How, how is a primary care physician? How is an infectious disease physician? How are we? 
taking that data in and making sure we're providing the best care. Very difficult. And another piece of data is it takes about 17 years from when data, uh, from when you know knowledge is figured out and knowledge is created to when a physician uh, deploys it. So there's a huge lag period from when we, we do the randomized control trial that shows something to when we actually implement it. So, you know, a lot of the projects that I'm working on kind of feed into this. You know, the prediction modeling for efficiently targeting really ties into, you know, what is the value of our care? What is the efficiency of our care? And then, you know, that last project that I mentioned that um, we're calling it um, EDOCS, Electronic Decision Order Communication Support, um, that really gets to, you know, putting guidelines in front of physicians in a way that is as seamless as possible, that minimizes clicks, and that allows you to really allow a physician to not spend all their time clicking through electronic health record and kind of doing all these cognitive tasks that, you know, uh, basically the machine can do, um, but allows them to spend that time kind of actually communicating with patients and making that, you know, that meaningful relationship with them. And it sounds like there's maybe some tie-in to the, the, the moral injury side of what you're talking about. Because if you're spending all your time, not all of your time, but a good percentage of your time on admin tasks or going through those electronic records, um, that time saver um, through automation could help out quite a bit. Definitely. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about technology. You mentioned um, a, a couple of key things. One, you mentioned uh, data, and we've also talked a little bit about wearables. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. A- Apple Watch has done a ton um, in the wearable space. Um, you know, you think about six, seven years ago. I remember Nike released their uh, their, their their sport band, and it was all about helping to. Um, um, change habits and, and help people think through how many steps they're taking per day. And now you've got the same size device that's doing so much more. It's tracking heartbeats and it's um, allowing to, to get more you know, data up front from the user. So I'm, I'm curious what your, your take is on the Apple Watch and, and some of the things as it relates to the wearables conversations you're having at North Shore. So there's two types of wearables uh, in my mind. There's the consumer-grade wearables, the things that you can go buy like an Apple Watch, a Fitbit, a Samsung Watch, um, even a pedometer app on your phone. And then there's the medical-grade wearables. Um, those are the things that are um, that are capturing multiple vital signs continuously. Um, and so we've evaluated both of these. And, I mean, I think wearables are going to be a game-changer in terms of remote monitoring. Um, there's a lot of interesting work that's being done um, kind of on both on both sides. In terms of the Apple Watch, um, uh, so <laughs> my my wife worked at Motorola, so we weren't allowed to have any Apple products. So I don't actually have <laughs> I don't have any of the Apple products, but um, uh, I think it's really really interesting. Kind of what they're doing, they're kind of moving in that same direction that we are, which is, you know, that prescriptive intervention, you know, the prediction model tied to like an intervention. So, you know, if someone has a fall, you know, they're actually contacting, um, you have the ability to contact like first responders to, to help them, you know, uh, help them in case something bad has happened. And then it also has the ability to like monitor if you have atrial fibrillation, um, uh, which is, you know, a huge problem, you know, from a cardiology standpoint. I, I, I mean, they're doing 
really innovative stuff, and they've really worked hand-in-hand um, hand with a lot of physicians to do this. I, I, I think it's, it's going to be a game-changer in terms of uh, democratizing, um, you know, patients' own data um, and digitizing, essentially, patients' data. Um, from the medical side, you know, we evaluate a bunch of vendors, and um, some of the devices are absolutely, um, I mean, they're, they're incredible. Like we, we've seen devices that monitor continuously multiple vital signs, heart rate, heart rate variability, single lead EKG, temperature, respiratory rate, pulse oximetry, falls, sleep, steps, all continuously. Um, and, you know, having that kind of data, if we can tie that to the right kind of prediction models that can separate the signal from the noise... Uh, I mean, it can keep patients at home where they want to be. It can prevent them from coming back to the hospital. I, it, there's not much data in this field because it's so it's in its infancy. But it, it's I mean, it's going to be a, a game changer, and it's going to develop pretty rapidly. So, in the brief, I read a little bit about the the, the concepts of, of medication adherence and around the stat around non-adherence causes about five percent of death in the in the U.S. Uh, per year. It sounds like wearables could be um, uh, uh, something that could potentially help with that. There's a lot of stuff going on in med non-adherence. I mean, there are pills that you can take that then essentially send a signal to your Bluetooth, you know, through Bluetooth to your phone that says you took it or didn't take it. You know, there's pumps for asthmatics that tell you each time you, you know, you actually pump and if you've taken it or not. I mean, there is a lot of space for technology, digital technology, mobile apps um, for non-adherence. And that is, like you said, that is a huge, huge under-the-radar type of problem. As many challenges as healthcare faces today, it sounds like there's a, a lot of cool technologies that are coming down the pipeline. What are you most excited about for if you had to look at the three- to five-year horizon? Hmm. Um, I think there's a lot in a lot of different spaces. Uh, what I would say I'm most intrigued about is, you know, the prediction models and how powerful they're going to get. Um, you know, we deep learning models have really kind of revolutionized a lot of different, um, I would say, a lot of different industries, you know, whether it's, you know, figuring out what movie you want to watch or facial recognition or drive, you know, self-driving cars. Um, it's in its infancy in healthcare. We produce probably the most data, you know, <laughs> we're producing tons and tons of data compared to most industries, and we haven't tapped into it. And, the, you know, those types of models, I think, have the potential to do really incredible stuff from, like, diagnosis to um, figuring out what's the best treatment. You know, there's a lot of data that a lot of what we do um, is ineffectual. Like a lot of the meds that we give really, they don't really do much. Um, you know, there's all kinds of studies that, you know, certain prescriptions, maybe it benefits one out of 20 people, one out of 10 people, one out of 30 people. So how do you use data to figure out who is the, you know, who will benefit from a given therapy or a given intervention? Or how do we diagnose something? Or um, how do we automate processes that we're currently doing so that we spend more time, you know, with our patients? Like, I, I think that, I don't know if that's a three to five year time commitment, um, might be a little bit longer, but this field is moving very quickly. 
And, um, you know, as if you go to like informatics conferences each year, you kind of hear about new stuff. And I mean, things are rapidly progressing, like computers are already better than humans at vision. So there's, there were a bunch of studies showing that, um, computers are better than, um, humans at detecting diabetic retinopathy. So ophthalmology better than humans at certain radiology findings, better than humans at looking at skin cancer. So dermatology, um, better than humans at looking at certain path pathology slides. So anything that has human vision, you know, computers are already better than that. So I, that, that's in the last two, three years that this has all been coming out. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the next three, five years. Absolutely. Last year, we, uh, we used the HoloLens, which is a Microsoft device, to, uh, to build uh, an assisted surgery application. And we didn't realize at the time, you, you build proof of concepts, you never necessarily know where they're going to go, but how much interest there was to have kind of a second set of eyes through the cameras and the lenses that the device offers. Um, it, it's just interesting, and, and I think it's, it's fascinating to see uh, the area of healthcare, and, and it, it certainly is a lot of room for improvement, like you mentioned. But uh, we're excited about it, and it, it sounds like uh, you're excited about it as well. So um, I've got one last question for you, which is the most important question of the day. What's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? This is the hardest question. <laughs> I would say I'm like an equal opportunity, you know, app user. Um, I, I like YouTube a lot. Um, I didn't even know what I was going to answer to this question. I was like really <laughs> at this, you know, at the last second. So, I mean, I just listen to music all the time sure. and that, that just helps me think. So I would say YouTube. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Shah, it's it a pleasure having you on today. Um, if there's any um, guest that wants to um, keep in touch with uh, North Shore Healthcare System or, or you, um, can they find you online anywhere? Uh, I would say LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, there's a lot of Nerf Shahs, so you'll have to find <laughs> the one that's at North Shore. Um, I think our, um, you know, in Illinois, our uh, Department of Public Health, uh, the head of that is also Dr. Nerv Shah, who has an uh, infectious disease background. So you'll have to find uh, find me from that. So And then you could also follow North Shore. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for your time today. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. This was great. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.